Oh my god, we're back again. What is up everybody? Welcome back to the Jake Podcast. It has been a while been a while since I recorded last, I think over a month now. Um, but thank you for your patience. I know I kept a lot of people hanging, but we have a lot of big news. See, the last time I recorded, I was not a dog owner. And surely enough, introducing to the podcast my now co-host, beautiful Nola Brainy. She is 50% lab, 50% we don't know, but 100% just this cutest little girl in the world, and I'm so pumped. It was a really fast experience getting her. So, you know, just to give you a quick run-through of how we got Nola, um, Sam and I have been looking at, you know, puppies for a while, and Sam was always online, you know, trying to get, uh, you, you know, applications for these different, like, websites that had these dogs. So they wouldn't just give them out. So you needed to do an application. You needed to get approved. And a couple places, you know, took really long time. Like, we would go there. We'd be like, we're interested in this dog. And like, all right, fill out this application. And automatically, we, we knew we weren't getting a dog because we were, like, you know, behind five other people who had already filled out the application. And it was it was getting like rough, you know, not being rough pun intended. Uh, it was getting rough, not you know being able to kind of like feel like we're getting in there. But this one place, you know, wag on in, uh, they approved. You know, Sam applied on Friday night. They approved us Friday night and asked if we they could have a, a visit on Saturday, like a home visit. So they came over. Uh, the woman that was you know had to approve us came over. Checked out the home and said, okay, great. Everything's good. You got a yard. This is nice. You're close to the beach. That's good. You got two people that are going to be home a lot and family that's going to be home here. Like this is everything's good. The house is nice. Uh, you don't have like kids or cats you're not telling us about. Do you want the dog? And we're like, wait, what? She's like, yeah. Um, do you want her? And we're like, uh, oh, well, before she asked us, she actually said, hey, I've got them with me. Uh, the boy has already been claimed, but the girl's available. Do you want to see her? And we're like, oh, hell yeah. And then we brought her in and we're like, oh, my God. I don't think we could we could look at another dog after this one. And she immediately asked us, like, okay, do you want her? And Sam and I had to take a minute. Uh, <laughs> but we're like, yeah, we do. We we didn't want to pass her up. You know, we, want, we were like, this is... This is too good to be true. She's so beautiful. I think she fits perfectly. So we decided, yeah, you know what? Let's do it. Let's get this done. And uh, it was done. It was done right on the spot. We uh, we didn't have enough stuff yet. So we said, you know, can we get her tomorrow? Like not leave her here right now because we still need to get her cage and, 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 you know, some dog food and everything that goes into having a dog. But we, you know, needed 24 hours. We got all that and boom, it was done. It, it was it was pretty awesome. So yeah, Nola Brainy. She's sitting right next to me right now, taking a little nap. But she's my co-host for every podcast from now until eternity. But just a little insight on why uh, you know haven't had a podcast in a while. Uh, outside of that, you know, it's just been uh, you know been busy weekends. I went to Vermont, tried my hand at skiing first time since I was like 13 years old. So uh, that was half my lifetime ago, even more than that. Yeah, I mean, that was probably 17, 18, you know, 16, 17 years ago was the last time I skied. And it was funny because I was talking to my parents like, you know, oh, uh, Jake, you were such a good skier when you were a kid. Like, okay. Like, I was also good at climbing trees. <laughs> like, like, let's not, like, you know, base anything off of what you're good at when you're 13. Like, you grow out of a lot of things. And 
needless to say, there was a uh, correction involved early on in the ski trip. Uh, I did have a blast. We had so much fun. We uh, we had my sister take care of Nola, which was nice. That you know had a little Maggie Nola time, and uh, Sam and I drove up to Mount Snow to meet our good friends Tom and Meg and Chris and Lauren, and had a great weekend. The six of us, uh, three snowboarders, three skiers. Sam did great. It was like she didn't skip a beat, and she wants to go back with her friends, and she probably will go back. I, however, um, I, I'm not rushing to get all the way back there. I had so much fun after my first run. First run was rough though. I mean, first of all, you go there and it's like, all right, we're going to rent the skis and helmets and stuff. Sam didn't want helmets at first. And then she looked around. She's like, I think every single person here is wearing a helmet. And considering I haven't, you know, skied in 13 years since she was in high school, like, yeah, maybe I should, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I should get a helmet. So we get our helmets. Uh, then we we get in line for the skis and like you need to get your boots first. So after we sit through that line, we have to go back in line to get our boots. The boot line was long. Get back in the ski line. Like everything was just like an hour long process. Then we go on the first run and I am I, I mean we're on a green, but I am not doing well. I am like it's just not it's 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 a lot of falling. It's a lot of like, uh, I tried to use my ski poles to just like stop on a dime. I was like, you know what? I'm not stopping really quickly. So maybe I'll just stick my ski poles in the ground and almost like impaled myself. Felt like like four times on that first run. And I could see the bottom. And I'm like, all right, I'm almost done with this run. Maybe I'm just going to hang them up after this one and say, I tried. I did it. But I'm done because it's it, it was killing my fucking thighs. Uh, my calves felt like it was like, you know, the boots were just riding them on a wrong spot. Uh, my feet were a little sore. Uh, honestly, like everything below the waist, I was like, this is just painful. So I was thinking I was going to stop. I'm like, this has been a fucking terrible run. What could go worse at this point? And then I just hear in the background, Jigger! And I'm like, oh no, now I have a fucking audience. And I like turn my head, but try to stop myself and then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh boy, I can't stop. And I just go straight into the trees and fall down there. I give Tom and Meg the best visual they needed all weekend. They're like, that's what it came for. But fortunately, Meg stopped Tom from filming it. So you guys are just going to have to imagine what Jake looked like uh, skiing into the trees. But I, I was like yelling at Tom. I was like, fuck off, get out of here. You know. And then at the end of the bottom of the mountain, I was like, all right. You know, might be done, but they waited for me. They're like, come on, we'll go on a different trail. It'll be better. We went up. We went on a different trail. It was better. I only fell like one time on that run, but it was like I, I was handling myself much better. And it was it was a lot more fun. We went all the way to the top, so it was like pretty cool being up at there. And I finished that run, and I was like, I might be able to end it on that one. And then everyone was like, no, let's go up. Let's do one more. Let's grab a beer up at the top of the mountain where there was like a little lodge. And then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll we'll call it after that. So I was like, you know what? I can do that. That's what I can do. And uh, that's what we did. We got a beer up at the top. Uh, I got a little White Claw. It was awesome. And, uh, you know, it, it, that was that was it. That was awesome. I was like, this is this is great. Then, you know, got, you know, one more run in where I kind of handled myself. But I was a little sore. I was ready to be done there. And Sam and I were like, yep, this is it. This And it was great. I had so much fun. Uh, I, I'm not a skier. It's just not my sport. I'm a contact sports guy. We, we know this. 
Uh, I'm not a golfer. Uh, I'm not a tennis player. Skiing is a lot more uh, work than those sports. I'm a football player. I'm a basketball player. Like, give me those sports where it's like team sports, running up and down, uh, not things that are on mountains. So, but it was so much fun. Had a blast. And would I do it again? Yeah, I would. I, I would go back because I think it's a lot of fun. Uh, and you know, it, one thing I noticed, and I thought this was really great, was you know when I went skiing when I was a kid, uh, went a good amount of times to Scranton. Um, uh, Killington, or no, no, not Scranton, Stratton, uh, I think the other one was Killington, Vermont, and then one time went out to Beaver Creek with a friend of the podcast, Lucas Iannacone, uh, and his family, so the Brainies and Iannacones went out there to Beaver Creek in Colorado, that was pretty cool, we stayed at like this really awesome lodge, which was awesome, but one day I was coming down from a run, and I fucking loved it, because I would just fly when I was skiing when I was like 12, 13 years old, um, I got to the bottom and I'm looking around. I'm like, is that my dad? You know, at the bottom of the mountain where there are, you know, there's a, because those are the bottom, there's so much space when you're skiing in Colorado. And at the bottom of those trails, you have so much room to like slow down and like either get in line to another lift or there's like these outdoor bars. And it was a nice sunny day. And I look at this outdoor bar and there are fire pits with Adirondack chairs right outside of them. And I look and I see my dad. He's got all of his ski stuff off. He's chilling on an Adirondack chair with the sunglasses on, with a beer, sitting by the fire, reading his book. And I'm like, Dad, what the hell? Like, you're already done? Like, it's it's like noon. And he's like, I'm done. And he's like, I'm like, come on, no, we'll do more and more. He's like, I'm done. And oh, it took a while, but I now get it. I look at that and I'm like, you know what? That's the fucking life. That is why you go skiing. I mean, I looked at, you know, dad was, dad had it all made. He was like, live music playing outside um, by a fire. It's a nice sunny day. I have a cold beer. Like, this is everything you want. This is, this is the ski dream. So if, if I can go back and do something like that, maybe do like a run or two and then do that all day. Hell yeah. That's what I'm talking about. So, so yeah. Skiing, not all bad. Uh, you just got to find your uh, your groove. Or like Corona would say, find your beach because that's what I was drinking up there. But uh, haven't been drinking a whole lot recently though. We uh, Sam and I have been killing it with this keto diet. Uh, it's like kind of like a keto, k- k- the ketosis lifestyle or whatever. Um, and you know what? If feeling healthier, feeling a little slimmer, which is good. You know, I got, I got a good ways to go. Not finishing up or anything anytime soon, but... You know, it's just about like measuring, you know, having a cheat weekend or a cheat day here and not letting it ruin your week. So it's uh, it's been good. I miss a couple things, but for Valentine's Day, Sam and I went out for uh, uh, for Brando's and we decided we weren't going to hold back. We were going to have some gnocchi, uh, have some bread and have some uh, some of that like pistachio ice cream cake, which they have is so good. And if you're wondering what you know keto is, it's basically uh, low carbs, very low carbs. You still have to have some, but it's like you have to make sure you're having the right carbs. Low carbs, no sugars. Uh, and we've been trying to find like you know the right recipes to you know make that like legit. And there are some that you know we've been getting creative. There are some soups that we we're trying, and a lot of these dishes are really good. And uh, you know 
it's been working out. I, I like it. Sam likes it. It's been working for her really well. It's been working for me. So this is a, is cool. Going to be sticking with it. Uh, would like to stick with it up until like the summer so that when the summer comes around, uh, I can have a couple of those, you know, B&T cocktails or have, you know, we have this bartender book. And we have this brand new bar that I'd like to like to dip into. I'd like to cut the tags off. You know, I'm looking at it right now. I'm like, man, there's a lot of bottles of Tito's in there that need to be drank. So hopefully by Memorial Day, shed some more weight and uh, and really stick with it. So uh, it's exciting though. You know, the keto lifestyle. There's it's not all that bad. You just need to you know be careful and make sure you're not going uh, crazy. So one thing I'm not I I am missing though is pizza, especially since there's pizza news all over the place right now. Prez. Uh, Dave Portnoy, you know, El Presidente of Barstool Sports, he uh, he's kind of neglected the Jersey Shore when it's come to uh, pizza reviews. Apparently, he's done one Belmar spot, like one of the bad Belmar drunk pizzas, after uh, KFC's wedding. And unfortunately, that's his only taste of like Shore pizza until this past week. He stopped at Pete and Elders of all places and gave it. I think he gave it an 8-2, 8-1 or 8-2, and then also stopped at Brooklyn Square Pizza, and which is so funny because Brooklyn Square Pizza was Sam's like high school pizza, just like Pete Nelda's was my high school pizza, and I've had both of them now. I've had Pete Nelda's a thousand times, but I've had um, Brooklyn Square a bunch of times now too. They're good pizza, and they have like the sesame seeds on the crust, and they have the vodka slice pie, and and he gave that one an 8-9. So I think he's going to be coming back. And, you know, if you're Prez, you're going to be thinking, okay, you've exhausted a lot of New York spots. You've gone to Connecticut. You've gone to, like, Pennsylvania and North Jersey. But if you come down to the shore, you can have beach weekends. You could have, like, DJs and Parker House. You could have gambling. You have, like, the racetrack. You have Haskell's you could do, or Haskell's weekend. And there's plenty of pizza places around here. I don't know why he hasn't like capitalized on that yet. This is a this is like a gold mine for uh, for weekends in the summer, especially when there's not many sports going on. You know, he's in here July and August. There's only baseball going on. Come down here, bet on baseball, film yourself at Mammoth Racetrack. You know, uh, at the sports book there, and and film yourself. You know, betting on the horses and. And you could get your tan on and you could do like, you know, all the things he likes to do already. And there's no shortage of pizza places around here too. So I, I really think he needs to capitalize on that. And I think after the two pretty good scores, he's going to. Because he's at 8-2 and 8-9. Those are good scores in his book. And I think he's going to be getting a lot of word to come back down here. I tweeted at him, got, you know, like 40 uh, likes. So I'm thinking... Hopefully that'll like you know get up there and he'll see that and kind of notice, but but it's pretty cool and and, and it'd be nice. And I love that he went to Pete and Elda's. If he came to the Jersey Shore, however, what would be your suggestion? So comment below uh, whether you're listening on SoundCloud, on Apple, um, or Apple iTunes, uh, if you're on Facebook or or Twitter. Comment what pizza places do you think Prez has to go to? My number one would be Vicks. Uh, it's not my favorite pizza, but it's really close. I think he just needs to be needs to go there. And then if he goes to Federici's, that's you know that's right, right now my favorite. So I'd say Vic's Federici's and Squad and Tavern are the three he's got to check out. 
if you think Don's or Federico's, yikes. Um, but then there's other places as well that are local, maybe Frankie Fed's and Freehold, a lot of pizza places. So what do you think are the pizza places that Prez should check out at the Jersey Shore? And is there any other places in New Jersey that maybe uh, don't get enough credit? Maybe something that I should go check out. Because on the way back from Vermont, Sam and I went to Roslyn Pizza, which is in, I think, Derry, Connecticut. Uh, I, I, I forget the name of the town. I think it might be Derry um, or Denley or Delhi. Uh, but it's it's near the New Haven spots, which were so good. And Roslyn Pizza was great. I, uh, I put up my score on Instagram. And I'll, uh, I'll, I'll have to retweet that as well, show it up again, you know, to show you just how good it was and where it ranks among my pizza spots because it was a good one. So, all right, but that's, uh, that's my personal news. You know, personal news, pretty good. A lot of fun stuff going on. There are a lot of sports news this time of year. You know, the NFL just wrapped up and, th- you know, the other sports are getting into full swing, whether it's hockey uh, and basketball, baseball preseason, and now the XFL. You know, the XFL is on week two, and week one has a pretty good return. So let's uh, let's get into the sports world, and we'll start off with the XFL. You know, watch last weekend. Not terrible. It made some pretty good money. Uh, so I think it's going to stick around for a little bit. Unfortunately, the quality of the play is, like, low. You know, I, I just, you know, on the last two plays, I saw drops on both, uh, you know, both passes. So you are going to have to sacrifice a little bit of the quality of play. However, you know the rule change. The rule changes are up. Uh, I, I really like them. Whether it's you know they they kind of make fair catching or not fair catching uh, touchbacks like suck makes you want to go for a fourth down a little bit more. And I think that's something the NFL might you know because I think it's you know for the um, for touchbacks I think it's down to thirty five. If that was in the NFL, maybe you'd go for it on more fourth downs. Maybe uh, the introduction of the two-point play and the three-point play you know makes the end of games more interesting if you are down nine and it all of a sudden nine isn't over you know in, in the NFL nine would be done um, but in this NFL uh, you know in this uh, the XFL nine isn't done so it's pretty cool almost went to the uh, New Jersey New York Guardians game I keep on saying New Jersey New York I know it's just New York but Almost went to the Guardians game last week with a couple of the buddies. Uh, ended up just staying back. You know, there's going to be other games. There'll be other chances. I think they have, uh, what do they have? A 14 game set schedule. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's a 12 game schedule. But you know, th- that's six home games. So maybe, uh, maybe make it to another home game. And uh, tickets were pretty cheap, so it's like 30 bucks. But I hope this. Uh, I hope this stays. You know, they're introducing the, the betting aspect of it, which uh, I think that's going to go really far because, you know, sports betting is legal pl- in plenty of places, especially in a couple of these states. So, and they don't fill out these stadiums, but they're not going to. It's February. It's, you know, and you're in D.C. and New York. And, ooh, Matt Bogloin, uh incomplete. See, you know, these, are, these aren't the best quarterbacks in the league. Cardell Jones has looked pretty good so far. Uh, but, yeah, it, the, the, the drops, the like missed assignments, you know, there, there are some things that they need to improve on. But again, it's only week two. Uh, but the rule, cho- rule changes have been enjoyable for the most part. And uh, let's see how the numbers do this weekend before we really judge it. Because the AAF, I think it was the American Alliance of Football, uh, you know, that failed. And it was because they, you know, they had a good week one, but week two, not so much. It didn't really work out. Uh, whereas the XFL, 
if they can capitalize and if they can get people watching all season long, that would be big. And you know, it's not a bad idea to have this, you know, work with the NFL. If they could get that so that's almost like a pipeline to the league, you know, one thing that they might be able to capitalize in years, you know, in the future years. And it's something they've already talked about is, you know, Oliver Luck came out and he's the uh, I think the president of the XFL or maybe the commissioner. I'm not really sure what his title is, but if uh, if they can start allowing football players that you know come out after their freshman sophomore years of college, they can show up to the XFL and get paid to play, whereas they're in college and not getting the same exposure. Or guys that are just you know cut from the NFL that are looking for a second chance, they go to this and that. I think that's a. I think those are things that the NFL could really benefit on, and they're going to let this kind of be the trial for a lot of different rules. I still don't even know what the XFL overtime rules are. I'm really excited to find that out because they're have you know the first weekend had four games and none of them were all that close. Uh, right now I'm watching the DC Defenders take on the Guardians and it's nine nothing. And to be honest, DC looks to be in like a different class than a lot of these teams. Uh, the Renegades were pretty good. DC looked good. Um, and there was one team that I, I, I forget. Was it maybe the Roughnecks? All I remember is the Vipers and LA didn't look all that good. But Houston looked good. New York looked good last weekend, but they are struggling right now. And DC, they look like the cream of the crop. So hopefully this works because it would be nice. I think I think the NFL would benefit from it. And just football fans everywhere would just benefit from this being a thing because, frankly, Basketball is not all that much fun to watch in the regular season if you're not if your team's not doing that great. And even when your team is doing great, you know, I had a lot of good Cavalier seasons that ended or that, you know, they made it to the finals, but January and February were a pain in the ass. So uh we'll see. We'll see how this goes. So anyway, that's the XFL. Excited to see where it's going forward. Do you have a team? Uh is there a, a player you're pulling for? Is there a suggestion you have for the XFL? Uh, comment below. Let me know what you think about the XFL so far. Anyway, uh, next up is the MLB, and this is big right now. You know, we're pitchers and catchers week has been this past week. Indians reported their pitchers and catchers, and uh, but the only thing people are paying attention to, you know, even after Mookie Betts got traded to LA, was the Houston Astros scandal. Now. I forget if we talked about this last time, but Houston, they they got caught cheating. And whether there was a whistleblower, there were people pointing out like the whole like buzzer thing, the trash can thing, which you know they had you know video recordings or not video recordings, but they had okay. The big problem with this was they had technology. They're using technology to to determine what pitch was coming. And they would buzz it down to the, the dugout, and players would hit a trash can if it was going to be an off-speed pitch. So players in the you know in the batter's box knew to listen for this noise, and if they heard the noise, to sit uh, on like curveball or changeup. What uh, and if they didn't hear that, they knew a fastball was coming. It made them such a good home run hitting team, and and like they became such a good hitting team that. You know, they led to two World Series appearances in three years with one World Series victory over the Los Angeles Dodgers. 
and a couple years of just playoff success where they beat a lot of good teams. Uh, beat the Yankees twice, I think. They beat the Indians once. They beat the Red Sox once. They uh, beat the Dodgers. I mean, they were beating some really good teams that had some real shots at the World Series. However, when all this came out, the only punishment was they got, I don't know, I mean, they got fined money, but the GM and the head coach got a year-long fine, and then they were fired anyway. But none of the players got uh, got disciplined, whether a fine or a suspension. And frankly, their apologies have been crap. They first were like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. And now they're like coming out with these cookie-cutter apologies, which like I understand you have to say what the owner wants you to say, but like be a little genuine. Just be like, you know, tell us if you did it and you're and you regret getting caught. Like, like I'd rather hear that. I'd rather Carlos Correa be like, look, we know that other teams are doing things. We're just trying to beat them. And uh, I wish we didn't have to do this. I wish we didn't have to cheat. But this is the only way. Like, if they had said that, I would have actually, like, respected them. But instead, they doubled down. You know, Jose Altuve is like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I, uh, you know, oh, I didn't I didn't want my shirt being ripped off because, um, you know, like, I, my wife, uh, she doesn't like when I'm shirtless on Instagram or on TV. And it's like, you look at his Instagram and he's never wearing a shirt. You know, and you see guys, you know, in post-game things, they've got weird wires to them. You got so much evidence now with the trash cans. And everybody wants them to be disciplined, you know. And, and there was other things about the Yankees. Maybe the Yankees might be doing this. And the Red Sox, you know, hired Alex Cora, and he was part of this in Houston, and he got fired. And uh, the Mets hired Beltron, and he was part of this in New York. He got fired. So, like, there's a lot of weird things going on right now, and the MLB is sitting on their hands, and everyone's pissed. You know, a lot of players are speaking out. The Indians... Uh, well, Trevor Bauer isn't on the Indians anymore, but between Trevor Bauer and Mike Clevenger, two pitchers were not out, were not going to be uh, silenced because Trevor has been anti-Houston for a couple years. He's been, you know, AJ Hinch called him like a sore loser. AJ Hinch said a lot of things about how he's just, you know, because you know, Trevor Bauer was the first one to point out that Houston was cheating. And AJ Hinch said he's an absolute liar. This is bullshit, and he's basically just defaming our whole team. Well, where's AJ Hinch's apology for lying to Trevor Bauer? You fucking asshole. Yeah, I'll, I'll say it. AJ Hinch. You know you 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 know our our pitcher was calling you guys cheaters. He was right. And and and, and what do you have to say about that? Oh, you you called him a liar. Bullshit. You know, and Mike Clevenger said like they better be ready. You know, because, uh, and I don't want Mike Clevenger pegging guys, but, you know, that might happen. And, uh, frankly, the cheaters, Carlos Correa is defending his team, saying, like, oh, you know, like, uh, we, we, uh, we shouldn't have done that, but Jose Altuve didn't do it. And it's like, no, Jose Altuve did do it. It, it was very clear. You have him on video saying, don't rip my shirt. And he's pointing at his fucking shoulder, you know, trying to hide the buzzer thing. And that was after he hit the walk-off home run to make it to the World Series over the Yankees. Like, come on. And I hate the Yankees. I hate the Yankees. The last person who wants to see the Yankees win is me. Yet, they cheated to beat them. I want the World Series rings back, and I want the trophy stripped from them. That's what I want. I want 2017 to be mired as, you know, BS. Because 
frankly, it was a great series, and the Dodgers didn't win a World Series, even though they made it to back-to-back years and were the one seed last year. And, you know, you, you never know when a team's window of championship is going to close. I mean, I'm an Indians fan, and it looks like, you know, ever since the 2016 World Series, the Indians have faltered in the playoffs. They missed the playoffs this past year. Um, you never know when a window is going to close on your team. And frankly, if Houston hadn't been cheating, you wonder if if uh, the Dodgers would have a World Series uh, ring at this point. And, and a lot of people are pissed. Cody Bellinger is pitched. He's speaking out against it. He's saying things like, you know, that it's bullshit and that those players should be ashamed of themselves. And that's what Carlos Correa was actually, you know, like responding to. But uh, something something to think about. Do you think the the cheating has been you know, well, well, uh, well handled by Ram Manfred. I don't think so. You know, so let me know what you think about Rob Manfred and, and if he did a good job, you know, disciplining these players, cause I don't think he has. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes up because I don't think this should be done. And a lot of baseball players are speaking out and the more that do it, the more comfortable players and managers will be speaking out against it because no one wants to be the first one to do it. So kudos to the guys who did it first. Especially Trevor Bauer, dude, your Hall of Fame in my book. So, you know, and and Bauer owned Rob Manfred on Twitter. You know, especially when Manfred was sidestepping all the Houston stuff, trying to like introduce new playoff formats. And it's like, are you fucking kidding me, dude? Like, address the cheaters. This is worse than the Black Sox. You know, those guys were never allowed to play baseball again, and they were just betting on baseball. These guys are cheating. Like openly cheating, using technology in the, in the fucking dugout, getting buzzed down, knowing what the pitch is. It's one thing to like steal signs and to like look that way and try and figure it out. Like every team does that. But when you're starting to use technology, things that are clearly not allowed, come on. Like that's a, such a joke. What a joke. So not the only thing going on in baseball though right now. You know, oh, the apologies. Alex Bregman. Come on, man. Like. First of all, the most anti-Trevor Bauer guy was Alex Bregman. So the fact that he had a shitty apology, I'm, I'm pumped about it because you look like a piece of shit, Bregman. Hopefully uh, people will realize, you know, when you're not banging on trash cans, Alex Bregman's not exactly a huge power hitter. But uh, anyway, so other than that, you know, there was a big trade. Mookie Betts was traded from the Dodger or from the Red Sox to the Dodgers. Uh, in a three-team deal with the Twins. And then that actually fell through because of the Red Sox not liking the return. They you know, thought that Bruce uh, Bruce Stahl Gatterall or Brewster Gatterall, I don't know what the guy's name is from the Twins, uh, didn't really check out medically. And they were only getting two players. It was uh, Alex Verdugo and Gatterall from the Twins. So if they were going to be doing this huge deal, for Mookie Betts, who didn't want to re-sign there, you know, he wanted to reach free agency. I think that was the big thing, is that he's like, look, I didn't want to sign an extension before free agency. That's when my, you know, gonna be the maximum value. And I get that. I understand why the guy's like, I earned this free agency, I want my extension, but you know, if he signs an extension with the Dodgers, that's gonna make the Red Sox look really cheap and really bad. Because the Red Sox apparently wouldn't budge on his demands, and they've got the money to spend. Uh, so, you know, the but bets ended up getting traded in just a straight up deal, and Gatterall ended up going to the Dodgers in a different deal. And uh, Jeter Downs and Alex Verdugo went to Boston. Now, 
makes you think if that is the going rate for a superstar now but bets only has one year left so to get verdugo and jeter downs like it's a pretty good haul i guess but for frankie lindor ah man if that's the going rate for a superstar i want to hold on to frankie that's simple as that and i mean i know frankie has another year and he plays a premium position. He's not an outfielder where you know you have three of them, and, and outfielders are easier to find than all-star shortstops. But he has another year. If and, and we and the Indians fans said, "Look, if we're going to trade him. We wanted Verdugo. We wanted uh, Dustin May, the like the their future all-star pitcher. Uh, we wanted Gavin Lux." And they want and wanted like another minor leaguer, like top minor leaguer. And whether you're not, you think that's fair. That's what the Indians wanted. That's what the Indians said. Listen, this is what we value, Francisco Lindor. If you want Francisco Lindor, this is what it costs. So if you think the Indians are being ridiculous, they're not. That's just what they value Francisco Lindor at. And if that's not what they're going to get, they're not going to trade him. So I appreciate that. However, the Indians slashed payroll to make some moves. And what they do, they traded, they got, they they dumped Jason Kipnis, they traded Corey Kluber, two all-time Cleveland Indians, basically the second best pitcher in Cleveland Indians history, now plays for the Texas Rangers because we wanted to save seventy million dollars. Um, the Indians have the twenty-eighth payroll, twenty-eighth largest payroll, the or you can look at it as the third smallest payroll in baseball. Their big move, not re-signing Yasiel Puig was bringing in Cesar Hernandez on a one-year, $7 million deal. And then they signed Domingo Santana to a one-year, $1.5 million deal. I mean, they're penny pinchers. The Dolans don't want to spend money. And if you think like, oh, well, they don't have the money to spend. Yes, they do. They do have the money. They don't make as much money as the teams they're competing with. But the Twins don't make a ton more money than them. The Twins are just doing better at it. Uh, Oakland doesn't make more money than them. Tampa doesn't make more money than them. Tampa's not really spending either, but still, you know, there are plenty of teams that don't make a lot of money that are spending money. But, you know, they don't want to spend. And it's clear that the Dolans want to just, you know, spend the minimum and compete that way. Now, if all of this is to get an extension for Frankie Lindor and that they're like, look, we saved money so that we could pay Frankie, then I take back everything I say. And I think that's fair to put that disclaimer out there and say, I take it back if. I think that's a fair disclaimer to have. However, I don't think that is going to be the case. I think Frankie Lindor is going to want to go to free agency just like Mookie Betts will because he says, listen, I'll get the biggest you know contract in infielder history. For, uh, you know, if once I make free agency and I don't think the Indians are going to do that. And by I don't think I said, I'm, I mean, like 5% chance I do that. It, uh, it stinks. And you know what? Their window of opportunity. They have two years of Frankie left. I want to uh, win a World Series with him. But if they don't think they're going to do it in the next two years, ship him off. Try and get Gavin Lux from L.A. and, and just go crazy with getting like younger uh cheaper players that you can you know build around you know and then uh and then build around those guys you know it, it stinks it's not a fun time to be an indians fan because there's really they're not really giving you much reason to be excited all they did is got worse this offseason 
you know, and, and they're banking on the fact that, like, oh, we have such good pitching depth. Well, Mike Clevenger is now going to be out one to two months with a, uh, a knee injury after he had to have knee surgery this morning. So that sucks. I mean, this is, uh, this is like a real big problem for the Indians because they, they traded Bauer last year. And what did Bauer do? Well, he, he trading him for half a year of Yasiel Puig, a young Framil Reyes was good, and Scott Moss was good. And like they got good players for Trevor Bauer, I'm not going to lie, but that was a cost-cutting move. You know, and now they have this pitching depth, which is good. But you know, for the Indians to be good, everyone needs to be healthy. And I know last year there was a lot of fluke injuries, but pitchers get hurt, and a lot of these players get hurt. Like, what if Frankie has to miss a month, or Jose, you know, or Carlos Santana? Like, they don't have the depth to be able to be penny pinching and competing at 95 wins. You know, they had 94 wins last year and missed the playoffs by a couple games. Like. 90 wins ain't what it used to be, people. You know, 90 wins is competing for the playoffs. 95 wins is like borderline playoffs. You know, maybe last year was a fluke with so many good teams in the AL, but I don't know. I mean, the Indians aren't doing what they need to do to be a contender, and it's all on the Dolans because I think they've been spoiled by such good management. They've been spoiled by Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff being able to turn in, you know, minor league, like turn in these average players and superstars into good hauls in trades. And pretty good, you know, drafting has been fine, you know, nothing crazy, but, you know, they've been spoiled by great management. And uh, unfortunately, we're probably going to see what happens when, you know, things don't go your way. And everyone wants the Dolans to sell. I would love the Dolans to sell. Because it's just, it's they they don't want to pay to win. Say what you will about Dan Gilbert. Dan Gilbert fucking paid to win, and that was like I think my favorite thing about him was, you know, he, even though he says the wrong things a lot of time, and you know people think he's kind of like a douchebag, rich, like white asshole. He paid in the tax to get guys like Anton Jameson. He paid to get Joe Smith and these players that you probably think aren't that valuable, but the you know GM and the management said, listen, this is what we need. This is what LeBron wants. This is what we need to do to compete. And he was like, whatever, let's do it. And that's why the Cavs have a championship and the Indians don't. And that's, that's frankly the difference between the two teams was the Cavs wanted to pay where the Indians didn't. And I think that's the difference between having a championship in uh for a basketball team and not a baseball team so anyway that's enough on the indians i know it's it's spring training it is coming right up indians they still look like a good team they're a good team they're a 90 win team it's whether or not they're good enough to make the playoffs are they another move away they signed domingo santana which means they're not going to sign yasiel puig uh which you know i'll get over it um and they signed cesar hernandez which means they're not gonna you know, move Jose Ramirez over to second and move Nolan Jones up just yet. Uh, the Indians have a thousand outfield options. I thought maybe they would move for Jock Peterson. You know, LA was trying to trade Jock Peterson uh, to the other LA team, the Angels, and that got th- that like stopped right in the tracks because of uh, you know the 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 Twins and and Red Sox trade, and they thought maybe they'd revisit it, but. 
since they got under the luxury tax, which I'm shocked that the Dodgers are under the luxury tax. They have a very expensive team, but I guess a lot of guys are on those like rookie contracts. But since they got under the luxury tax, they don't need to deal Peterson anymore, so maybe they won't be trading him and he'll be a platoon guy. But he would have been a great platoon guy. Have him and Jordan Luplo in left field, and no matter who's starting that day, that's your third hitter because Jock Peterson can crush righties and Jordan Luplo crushes lefties. So whoever that is is a run producer. So that would have been a great a great tandem in left field or right field. And then Domingo Santana in the other corner outfield or Framiel Reyes, whichever one's a, a better a better outfielder and whichever one's a worse one can DH. And then Mercado in center field. I mean, Indians have a lot of outfield options right now because you know they're left, so they're gonna have a lefty platoon with Jordan Luplo. That's either going to be uh, Daniel Johnson or Jake Bowers. Then they'll have either Reyes or Domingo Santana in left field, and the other one will be a DH. Then you got Mercado starting in center, and the you know the fourth slash fifth outfielder is either going to be Delano DeShields or Greg Allen, which are basically the same player except one of them's a switch hitter. And they have so many outfield options right now. You know, Naquin and Zimmer are hurt right now, so they'll have to rehab their injuries before they come back but a lot they have the Indians have 10 outfielders on their 40 man 10 it's it's crazy you'd think they'd make a move like trading one of those and like one of their pitchers because they have 10 starting pitchers too you can trade you can trade Mercado and Adam Plutko and get a really good outfielder I mean that's a good haul for a good outfielder so whatever but you know it's still early. We're in spring training. Guys are going to get hurt. Maybe you have these this depth options. And like we said, Clevenger got hurt. So it's going to be important to have Plutko and Savale and, and Plesak. So we'll see going forward. It's not baseball season yet. We'll have a baseball predictions uh, coming in March before the season kicks off. Because, you know, even though there's a lot of bummer about, you know, bummers out there about the Indians being like, you know, cost conscious, still a good baseball team. Still got Shane Bieber, Frankie Lindor, Jose Ramirez. Still got Carlos Santana. I mean, it's it's a good team. It's a it's a good baseball team. Anyway, uh, and it's it was tough to say goodbye to Kip. You know, it's officially over. I know they weren't going to re-sign him, uh, especially after you declined his option. I don't think a player wants to come back to a team that declines like a fifteen million dollar option. Uh, you know, it just it just looks bad if you're like coming there on a discount. I mean. I know a lot of people say there's the hometown hometown discount, but it's it's one thing if you're re-signing. It's another thing if they decline your money and then you come back. So he signed with the Cubs, minor league deal. It sucks because I'd happily have him on a minor league deal and spend that money elsewhere uh, You know that we had on, on Cesar Hernandez. I know Cesar Hernandez is going to be better than Kip this year, but... You know, you never know when, and you know, Kip's done. He might not be done yet. He had he had a two down years. I know he's entering his mid thirties, but you know, we'll just see how uh, how it goes. You know, with him going forward, wish him the best. He's uh, one of my all time favorite Cleveland Indians. The guy was a, a baller. So uh, enough baseball talk. That's you know, it's baseball. Let's move on to the NBA. I'll do a quick NBA roundup. It is All Star Weekend. Just had the trade deadline. A couple couple significant trades actually came in. Um, you know, the, the Knicks traded Marcus Morris or whatever Morris to the Clippers. Uh, 
The Lakers didn't make a move. Grizzlies, they they shipped Andre Iguodala to Miami, that that asshole. I, I mean, people are saying he should be a Hall of Famer. And Golden State's like, you know, fucking retiring him and shit like that. It's like, look, the guy didn't want to play in Memphis. And he, like, basically demanded a trade out of there. And everyone wants to, like, worship him. Like, shut up. Shut up, Iguodala. He's best known for giving up 35 points a game in the finals to LeBron. And, and winning MVP because what he had to do what no one wanted to do he didn't even do a good job at it everyone made it seem like he was the lebron stopper he didn't stop shit you know he just took on the task that nobody wanted whatever um but andre drummond traded to the Cavs. a lot of people hate that trade for the cavaliers why they traded brandon knight john henson and a, a future second round pick a 2023 second round pick for andre drummond who has a, an option this year uh, or next year. So if he opts out and he becomes a free agent, all they lose is a second-round pick, and they had a pretty good player for the end of the season, whereas Henson and Knight aren't, aren't really anything. Um, they If he does opt in, it's not like the Cavs are going to use that free agency money, that cap room in the free agency. They were going to haul in you know a big free agent this year. First of all, the free agent class isn't looking that great right now anyway. So Andre Drummond, if he opts in, he would have been a better get than anyone else on the market. And what if they extend him? He is a closer, you know, in age to this young core than Tristan Thompson is. And Tristan Thompson, he's going to be a free agent. So maybe he's the guy you want to spend that money on. And uh, and then you just reinvest the other money into the younger players. I think it's a good, I think it's a win for the Cavs who... We want them to be good sooner rather than later. They're not good this year. They're one of the worst teams in the league. If they can get a good draft pick and turn it around next year, maybe Kevin Porter Jr. and uh, and Darius Garland make a sophomore like you know bounce you know in their step. Colin Sexton was a late add to the Rising Stars game. Was bullshit. He should have been on it to begin, but uh, <laughs> ended up taking the most shots of any player on 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 either team. But regardless. He looked great in the all in the you know Rising Stars game, and he could fly on offense and make three pointers at a consistent rate. He looks like a good player for the future. The Cavs are building something. It's taking a while, but I think they're doing a pretty good job. And to be honest, if you think the Cavs should get an F for trading for Andre Drummond, you're just an idiot. You don't know how this team does business and how they need to compete. Like you're you're making it seem like they actually have a chance to sign. Kawhi Leonard and Jimmy Butler and Anthony Davis in free agency. Like, that's that's not Cleveland. The best free agent signing they ever had was LeBron James, and it was because he came home. He wanted to come home. The other things they were able to do was re-sign Kevin Love. Like, and that's not really even free agency. Like, so trading for Andre Drummond, this was the best player acquisition they've had outside of, you know, well, no, ever since probably bringing in Kevin Love. So give it a chance. It, it you know, in the NBA, you know, if 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 you're not one of the teams contending for a title, then you have to be uh you have to be patient and build through the draft and build up cap room. Or or build up cap room. Uh because the really the only way to do it is through stars. There's only like ever two teams a year that are playoff teams because they're built without a star. And it's usually they either get lucky or 
they're just so good in every aspect that they have to be a playoff team. But uh, the Cavs, they've got Colin Sexton, they got KPJ, they got Garland. I think it's just time to be patient. You know, Kevin Love's not going anywhere because people don't value him as much as the Cavs do. And this is just like Frankie Lindor. If you don't value him more than we do, then he's going to stay. And if you think the Cavs are being ridiculous, they're not. They just value Kevin Love. And if you say, oh, we want to take on Kevin Love, but we want a first-round pick, well, then you don't really want Kevin Love, do you? So the Cavs aren't going to package picks to get rid of Kevin Love. They like him. They'd rather him be here and just, you know, you know, be here for the long haul instead of, uh, you know, just shipping him off just to get the cap room. The, the Cavs don't want cap room. They don't need it. They're not going to use it. Um, it, you know, so that's that's all I'm going to say on that is that if you want Kevin Love out of here, and I mean, if they if someone was willing to give like a lottery pick for Kevin Love, I'd say maybe you got to think about it. But no one values him that much, so the Cavs basically use what you've got. You, you know, have him, enjoy him. He's under contract for a couple of years, so he's not going anywhere. Maybe uh, if he continues to play well, he has a first round pick next year from a team that strikes out on free agency and says, well, we're not going to get a guy. We have, let's say it's like the Heat, and they miss out on free agency, and they got they have Jimmy Butler, and they have all this cap room. Maybe they want to make a move for Kevin Love, and they say, all right, we'll trade you a young player and a draft pick because we want like a second star here. Boom. Then you got it. All right. That's enough NBA. Oh, outside of the fact that I do want to say, you know, haven't had a podcast since Kobe's death, and, you know, I, I did make a post for Kobe. I know a lot of people give me shit for you know making RIP posts because I have a history of doing that. Um, but I will say, I, I was never a huge Kobe fan as like a player, you know, because I just didn't like the Lakers. But I always appreciated Kobe because the guy worked harder than anybody. He had like I know a lot of people are now talking about the Mamba mentality, but like it's true. Like somebody that plays through the final whistle and cares. At every moment in the game, and like no matter if you're losing by 30 or winning by 30, he always like tried his hardest. Like you can be an NBA player and appreciate that. You can be a Bradley Beach men's league basketball player and appreciate that. So I don't think like you have to have been good friends with Kobe for that for this his death to like affect you. That was that was tough, and especially since his daughter died in it. That I mean that makes it a thousand times sadder. Um, I am excited to see what they do at the All-Star game, what kind of you know tribute they do because the one they did at the Staples Center for the first Laker game was uh since his death was absolutely incredible. And if by the way, I don't think there's a way LeBron loses uh this year. I think they're winning the NBA Finals and it would be quite the moment for him to like you know, A get his fourth title but have it be on it with his third different team. Uh, especially since, you know, if, if Kawhi wins it, it'll be his third title with third different team. But if LeBron has fourth title on his third team, two with the Heat, one with the Cavs, one with the Lakers, that'll cement his Laker dynasty because, or his Laker legacy, because everyone will look at LeBron as, Hey, he came in and he avenged the Kobe death. Not like it was actual anything to avenge other than the fact that in the year that Kobe died, the Lakers won the title for him behind LeBron. It'll, it'll, it's just, it's just another thing to add to LeBron's accomplishments, and I'm pulling for them. Cavs aren't going to win, so 
I would love it to be LeBron dominating in the finals. And, uh, I mean, I don't want to see the Celtics do well at all. I hate them. I think they're my least favorite basketball team. Uh, but if it was Lakers-Celtics and it was like LeBron beating the Celtics in the final, that would be pretty dope. That would be pretty awesome. So uh, something to look forward to. Anyway, moving on from the NBA because that, that was too much. The NFL. We have NFL news. You got Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski in for Cleveland. And they are now announcing all their coaching staff hires. They got Bill Callahan to do the O-line. Uh, they got a couple guys from San Francisco, like Joe Woods, and they got their pass rush coordinator uh, the, in, in on the defense. Got some, uh, got some young guys haven't heard of before, but frankly, it just makes sense that like everything that's happening in Cleveland is like more of more of like everyone's in lockstep instead of like forcing on coaches or anything like this. Stefanski. Barry, these guys are fans of each other. They are fans of the whole like analytics department. This is going to be good for the Browns. I am not going to give them the benefit of the doubt yet. I understand. I know what I said in January about you know Freddie Kitchens and John Dorsey and how those guys had to go, and that I'm not going to give this team the benefit of the doubt until like they earn it. And I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with it. I do think this is good though. This is going to be good for Baker. Like. Yes, it's his fourth head coach. That's not good. But this is the type of coach that's going to protect him. That's going to say, we're not going to ask you to do too much. Um, we're going to ask you to get in the lab, get to work. But you're going to be in charge of protecting the football. We are going to run the damn ball. Think of that Vikings offense and that it was run the ball through Cook and have a quarterback that can make plays when needed. Um, you know, <clears throat> They made Case Keenum look good there. Uh, they had Kirk Cousins, who's a very average quarterback, was was had very good numbers in Minnesota. If those guys can do it, Baker can do it because Baker's got more talent than them. Bringing in a Case Keenum, by the way, would be a good backup opportunity. You know, we we need someone to push Baker. We need more guys in this quarterback room to kind of push him because I think the the Browns like environment got a little too friendly and we sacrificed like quality there. Um. The other big news, though, is Miles versus Mason. And Miles Garrett, he got reinstated. And I'm pumped because he should be reinstated. I know what he did was wrong, but he shouldn't have to, like, you know, it wasn't wrong in terms of domestic violence or, you know, betting on your team. Uh, it wasn't wrong, like, you know, drug abuse or cheating through, like, steroids. It was wrong in terms of the fact that, like, you know, he he went after another player that he shouldn't have. Now, if you want to go into the whole thing again, I will. Because, you know, he came out after he got reinstated and said, and, and went into an interview with Mina Kimes of ESPN. And right away, doubled down on his position that he got called the N-word by Mason Rudolph. And that he knows he did what, what he did was wrong. But... He still thinks, hey, you know what? I went, I saw red when he called me the N word. And frankly, there's no room for that. And that's why I freaked out. And if you watch it, like everyone likes to do the slow motion and try to figure it out and pinpoint certain spots, that happened really fast. And I'm not defending him hitting a guy with a helmet in the head, especially if that guy's not wearing a helmet. Like, 
like he shouldn't have done that. That was wrong of him to do that. But I understand like it happened so fast. He got called the N-word. He freaked out. He was being held back by another player. Had he not been held back, he wouldn't have swung the helmet because it was because he was being held back by another player. And then Mason Rudolph attacked him, grabbed his nuts, and, and like called him the N-word. And it's like all of this adds up after Mason Rudolph failed to pull his helmet off because that's what this started with is Mason Rudolph tried pulling off Miles Ma- Garrett's helmet. But if you, you – know, so this happens. He does the interview with Mina Kimes. He doubled down. He said it. And this is right after he gets reinstated by the NFL. He's saying this. And then Mason Rudolph comes out this morning and tweets, that's a bold-faced lie. I never used it. I never will use it. and never going to use it. And he's lying and trying to assassinate my character. And Mike Tomlin comes out and defends Mason Rudolph. Now, first of all, Mason uh, or uh, Miles or Mike Tomlin, he shouldn't be listened to at all in this because he had a chance to say, "What can your team do to learn from this?" Uh, the day after that, and he said nothing. There's nothing we can do to learn from this. Really? There's nothing you can learn. You absolutely just took away all your credibility when you said there's nothing to learn from this. You know, no, no matter what Mike Tomlin says, there's no, don't listen to him. There's nothing to learn from it. He said. You know, oh, what does Mike Tomlin say? No, it doesn't work. Doesn't matter. There's nothing to learn from this. Mike Tomlin thinks there's nothing to learn from this whole thing. Doesn't matter what Miles said. Nothing to learn. Doesn't matter what Mason Rudolph said to him or tried to do to him. There's nothing to learn. So whatever Mike Tomlin says doesn't matter. There is nothing to learn. That's so. That's one point I want to point out that Mike Tomlin had his chance and everything he says from here on out. <clears throat> doesn't matter because he said there's nothing to learn from it. Unless he says he was wrong before, but I don't think anyone is I don't think anyone at this point is going back on what they said. So between Miles and Mason, one of them's lying, right? Because one said he said this, and the other says, No, I didn't. Okay? They said that months ago. Months later, after the suspensions and the fines, Miles Garrett who has a lot to lose still, you know, he just got reinstated. They probably told him, don't, don't say shit if there's nothing there. He knows he can get in trouble for doubling down and saying, but he did it anyway. He could have dropped this, but he doubled down anyway. So there's two ways to look at this. There's the way of, I mean, there's three ways, but the first way is, you know, Miles and Mason are exaggerating or stretching the truth. One of them, both of them. So that's one. It, it's possible. It's possible that that Miles Garrett heard something that sounded like that, and he didn't actually say it, and he and he went red because he thought he heard something. And there's a chance that you know, Ma- uh, Mason Rudolph basically uh, <clears throat> he said something, but it wasn't the N word. He said something close to it. He he looked at him a funny way. There's I'm I'm getting the sense that that's not the case though. So number two, Miles is lying, and number three, Mason is lying. So let's go into this. If one of them's lying, who would it be? All right, let's look at at this from a Mason Rudolph perspective first. Number one, um, there is there is no audio out there suggesting he did it, and if and if there was. You know, suggesting he said if he if he really didn't say it, if Mason Rudolph really didn't say that, it would be out there, right? Like 
the the NFL right now, this is a black mark on the NFL. They don't want this out there. This makes them look bad. So if there was a way to make Miles Garrett look bad again, he already looks bad because of the whole event. Now, the whole thing about the N-word being out there, if there was audio of him saying the N-word, it's never going to see the light of day because it would just make it look bad on the NFL, especially since they tried to bury it at first. Miles Garrett doubles down. If there really is audio suggesting he didn't say it, release the audio. Because it, right now, there's no worse you can look on this whole thing. You can try and let it die, but release the audio. If he didn't say it, release the audio. That way, you cover your ass. But like to act like there's no evidence, I mean, come on. No, quarterbacks are mic'd up. And and yes, there's the thing in the helmet. And, you know, his helmet wasn't on his head, but there are other players around. These players are mic'd up. It's Thursday night football. Like, it's the only game that's where these guys aren't mic'd up. Come on. Like, they're, they're mic'd up for every Thursday night football game. So I'm not buying that. Number two, Miles Ma- Garrett, he could have let this die, but he didn't. He doubled down knowing that he could get in trouble again. So he's risking a lot. And all, all for what? So that, you know, all for all for the fact that he, he thinks he's right. And so that's why I want to believe Miles Garrett. <clears throat> However, you know, why would Mason Rudolph double down on what he said? He should just ignore it. So the fact that he keeps on defending it, it you know, it makes things tough to figure out. I believe Miles Garrett just mainly because I don't think he would double down unless it was really there. And I do believe that the NFL would have released the audio by now if uh, if he didn't say anything. I feel like they are protecting it. And we'll never know because that's never going to get out. But um, it will be interesting. You know, Mason Rudolph, he's not going to start for the Steelers anymore. So we may never see him again because he's really not that good. Duck Hodges was better than him in the, later in the season. And... Uh, and Ben Roethlisberger, they say he's not done. That's the other thing that comes out of this. Ben Roethlisberger, it said he's not done. Eli Manning retired. You know, he's he's the same draft class. Phillip Rivers, the Chargers are moving on from him. They don't want him anymore. They're saying, we're going to let you go be a free agent and play somewhere else. We want to move on. But Big Ben, they say he's got more in the tank. We'll see. You know, guys don't come back from injuries at this age and get better. But, uh, you know, he's also a freak because he's huge. So we'll see how this goes for the Steelers going forward. Uh, outside of these controversies and the fact that, like, you know, the draft is coming up. And we're going to have plenty of draft talk. Don't you worry. Uh, I've, I, I'm excited. I'm excited about this draft and the offensive tackles in it. But we're not going to get that to that today. Today we're going to get to the quarterbacks because there is a huge quarterback carousel to be had. Phillip Rivers is out of the Chargers. Tom Brady is a free agent, and he hasn't signed with the Patriots yet. And apparently, the Vegas Raiders are going to make a run at Tom Brady. Uh, the Saints have three free agent quarterbacks. Teddy Bridgewater, uh, Taysom Hill, and Drew Brees. Drew Brees might retire. He said he would only come back and play for the Saints. You know, Mariota and Tannehill are both free agents after they made a nice playoff run where Mariota was kind of in a, like, hybrid backup role, and Tannehill kind of found his stride. Dak Prescott's a free agent. Cam Newton plays for a new scheme in Carolina where they might be moving on from him. 
Andy Dalton is a free agent, and he's going to be moving on after the Cincinnati probably takes Joe Burrow with the first pick. A lot of things can happen. So I'm going to do a little rundown of what I think some some predictions are going to be. So starting off right right off the bat, I don't think Carolina is going to move on from Cam Newton just yet. I think uh, I think it'd be hard to find a trade partner for a 31-year-old quarterback who definitely has his better days behind him. Um, I think they're better off just trying to find a mid-rounder and can work under new Matt Rule, the new coach. Maybe it's Will Greer who's already there. Maybe it's Kyle Allen. But to be honest, I don't think Carolina makes any huge moves. I'd love to see it. I'd love. I'd love to. I always like seeing a new head coach and a new quarterback like together at the same time. Like I like them tied in marriage together. I think that's a cleaner thing. Um, but right now, I just uh, I don't know. It 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 kind of seems like uh, the other dominoes will fall and Carolina will be left with. Well, Cam's not too bad. Uh, if I could go for something crazy, I would love to see Cam and uh, the eighth pick go to Cincinnati, and Cam goes, to, Cam becomes a Bengal, and the Carolina Panthers get the first overall pick, and they have to send obviously other first round picks too to get this done. But I think that would be absolutely wild and crazy for the NFL. Uh oh, we might have a pick six. DC defenders are just laying it on the Guardians, eighteen nothing right now. Um, all right, next up. Uh, Dallas, Dak Prescott, I think they're staying. I, I think they'll figure it out. Um, I look at, I look at like, you know, Coach McCarthy's coming in there. It, it's so hard to just move on from a good quarterback. Dak Prescott's a good quarterback. He's not great. He's not amazing. He's a good NFL quarterback. He's, uh, I would say, in the top half of NFL quarterbacks. Maybe he's 15th. Now, you might say, is it worth it to give him a record contract? Well, the other alternative is moving on. Or paying someone like Tom Brady, someone who's in their 40s, when Dak Prescott, he's you know right in his window of athletic peak. You, you can see guys like Tannehill and Mariota get better with time. Maybe Dak Prescott can get better with time, and maybe your best bet is to give him more time. So I don't think Dallas moves on. Um and the next one is Derek Carr. Another one, I don't think the Vegas Raiders are moving on. I think it's all talk at this point. Um, Carr is under contract. He's not a free agent. Uh, if they were to move him and trade him and then draft a quarterback, m- maybe. But I just I don't see it happening. I see Carr staying, and um, I see I see Dak and Cam also staying. So, but I do see some interesting stuff moving around. Philip Rivers. I think the perfect match is Indianapolis. Indianapolis is ready to compete right now. They have more money than God, and they don't need it for Phil Rivers. Jacoby Brissett's our starting quarterback. I think he's fine, but I don't think he's a top 20 starting quarterback. I don't even think he's top 25. So Phil Rivers comes in, and Jacoby Brissett, he's one of the best backups in the league again. And maybe you draft a guy to be the future of the team that maybe isn't ready just yet. If, if that's Jordan Love, that'd be cool because I think he, he'd do good being a backup for a year or two. I think that's the best thing the Chargers can do. And for Phil Rivers, it'd be great to go to a team that has invested in the offensive line, has uh, a defense that's getting better each year, and looks to be competing for the playoffs right away. So... 
He's not going back to the Chargers. I think the Colts are a great spot for him. And I, I just I, I look at it, it's better than the Florida teams where like apparently people think he's gonna go to Florida, you know, one of those spots. I think this is a better situation for him. And he gets to play in a dome ten games a year. You know, the eight home games and then you get Houston and I think they have I I, I forget who their uh their schedule brings in, but I think they have another dome game and that goes a long way for a guy like Phil Rivers, who has never had the arm strength and like the you know that throws bullets over the middle. He's always kind of had a weird throwing motion that has like uh, you know brings in ducks from time to time. But I think that'd be a great match, and I'd love to see it happen. I think Indianapolis bringing in Rivers would be like a hey, we're trying to make a play in the AFC right now. You know, especially behind that line, I think that'd be the best for Rivers. Uh, Andy Dalton. Don't go to Cincinnati. Don't stay there and and you know mentor a young quarterback. Go to Philadelphia, right? It's not a starting gig, but Philadelphia has invested a lot of money in backup quarterbacks, right? You know they've given Josh McCown, they've given um, uh, Dan Chase Daniel and uh, Nick Foles good money to play to be the backup quarterback. And Carson uh, Wentz has shown that he can't be dependent upon for a full 16-game schedule, nor the playoffs. If you're Andy Dalton, you think, I'll go there. Doug Peterson, good football team, really good football team. They were my pick to win the Super Bowl. Um, We'll we'll get back to that later. But uh, they're a good football team that they only need a couple of upgrades to make it back to the playoffs and be a real like contender. And uh, if you're looking at Carson Wentz and saying, hey, you know, he's going to get hurt. He never plays a full season. So I think that's a great fit for Andy Dalton. Go to Philadelphia, be the backup. Not only would they have two redhead quarterbacks, which I think would be hilarious, but I think that's just a really good window for him. Uh, So I like that match. Ryan Tannehill, uh, Tennessee. Look, uh, they have the money to pay for you. They liked what you did there. Uh, I do think if Tennessee, I, I my favorite matchup would be Tennessee getting Tom Brady, but I don't see that happening. Uh, and I'll get to Tom Brady in a little bit, but I think um, if you're Ryan Tannehill, you don't want to leave Tennessee. They gave you a good opportunity. They built an offense that took it to the AFC Championship game and had a ten point lead in the AFC Championship game. And it's just you ran into a buzzsaw of the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, congratulations, by the way, to the Kansas City Chiefs for winning the Super Bowl. Um, so if you're, if, if you're Tannehill, can you find a better situation? I don't think so. I think you stay in Tennessee, you you probably get a pretty good payday, nothing crazy, but you get a good payday and you're on a team that's already a playoff team. They're built well. You've got a great young head coach and, uh, they're going to continue to make life easy on you. So, uh, Tannehill stays in Tennessee. Next up is, uh, Mariota, Marcus Mariota. Does he stay in Tennessee? I don't think so. I think now with Tannehill, with them moving on to make him the starter and paying him to be the starter, I think his bet, best bet is to go compete somewhere. Now, I don't hate the idea of him going to San Francisco and being the backup to Jimmy Garoppolo and saying, hey, you know what? If Jimmy doesn't, you know, Jimmy's got to be on his on his toes because, yes, they paid him a lot of money, but Marcus Mariota goes there and starts to bring a different element to a Kyle Shanahan offense and shows that, hey, you know, I can get it done. Jimmy Jimmy Garoppolo is not that good where he's impenetrable to uh, 
to a competing, you know, or to a competition. Uh, however, I don't have that one. I have a much easier path to a starting gig for Mariota, and that's the Chicago Bears. Mitchell Trubisky, they already said, Mitchell Trubisky is our starter. You don't have to do that, man. The Bears are a good team. They're good defense. They've got a good head coach. They have a lot of options on offense. There are times that they look like one of the better teams in the NFL. And then there are other times where it looks like they can't get a first down. If you bring in Marcus Mariota, who has, you know, I'm not I'm not guaranteeing super success with Marcus Mariota, but you bring in Mariota and have him just compete with Trubisky, at the very least, you have a good backup, you know, who's pushing your quarterback, who's known to be a good locker room presence. He's not like a huge like voice in the locker room, but a good locker room guy. That's the worst case scenario. Best case, you know, Matt Nagy starts to bring in these option style plays and this RPO. I know Trubisky can run too, but Mariota has a, is a, is a better runner. I I like Trubisky as a runner. I think he's underrated as a runner. He's a good mobile quarterback. And he's got, you know, basically prototypical, you know, legs for a white guy, basically. But Mariota, he can run, run. And if you're the Bears, you got to like that idea of him playing if you sign Marcus Mariota. So how about Marcus Mariota go to Chicago, compete with Trubisky, let Trubisky lose the job eventually, and then when it's time to take over and be given your chance, just don't screw it up and they won't take you out. So I like that one. Finally, we got the New Orleans quarterbacks. Um, I have them bringing back two, and here's why. I have them bringing back Drew Brees and Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill thinks he's a franchise quarterback. I don't think he's going to get franchise quarterback money from anywhere. I think, like, no, not going to happen. However, Sean Payton really likes him. He likes Sean Payton and the Saints. He says if they don't, if they're not willing to pay, he'll leave. But I don't think he's going to. I think that's a bluff. I think he just wants the best possible payday. And Drew Brees, at this point in his career, paying him one year at a time makes sense. Now, if Drew Brees retired, that makes things a lot more interesting. But I don't think Drew Brees is going to retire. I don't think like that. Uh, I think he's got at least one more year in him. They bring back Brees. They bring back Hill. And they say, okay, Hill is going to learn as your backup. Teddy Bridgewater is not here. Hill, you are the backup. You're going to be learning from Brees. And by the time Breeze is done, you're going to be the guy. Taysom Hill's already 30, so it's not like you know, you're know you getting a 24-year-old to be like the future of the team. He's already 30, but they believe in him. And if anything that Sean Payton says is true, which is not always true, I feel like he's lied in the past a lot. Um, if what he's saying is true, I think they this is what they want. And they'll move on from Bridgewater. Who lands with the Chargers? I think this is the best. This is my favorite pick of, of any of these is Teddy Bridgewater, of any team, you know, changing quarterbacks. Teddy Bridgewater goes to the Chargers. They draft a quarterback, you know, in like the second round, so they don't have to use their first round pick on a quarterback. Now, as a Browns fan, I want them to use. I want that top time, top nine to be all quarterbacks. However, I think the Chargers don't if they're not in love with Herbert, if they're and if they don't want to move up for Tua. I think their best bet, pay Teddy Bridgewater like a three-year deal, uh, you know, $25 million a year. I know it's a lot of money, but that's what starting quarterbacks cost in the NFL. And then draft a guy in the second round to be the future quarterback of their team. And then 
it, like all of a sudden that's a much better situation than you had with Phil Rivers. You have a mobile quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater who was five and zero with the Saints. He can he'll be an upgrade from Phil Rivers last year, and uh, and you have a top a six overall pick that can help you in a, a myriad of ways. If Isaiah Simmons is there, holy shit, that's a great add. Maybe you add an offensive tackle because you want to protect your uh, your running backs better. And maybe, uh, you know, like maybe, who knows, go get Jerry Judy. Get one of these awesome wide receivers. Maybe they trade down and get two first-round picks up for that number six pick. I think uh, it would be the best move for the Chargers to, you know, kind of go get Teddy Bridgewater, give him like a short contract, and then move on from, uh, you know, him when the uh, the younger guy's ready to roll. I think that'd be a great ad. Uh, and then finally, it's Tom Brady. Look, as much as it would be really fun to see him change teams, he's not. He's gonna stick with the. He doesn't have. He doesn't have anything to prove. People are like, "Oh, maybe he wants to prove that he can win without Belichick." I'm like, no, he doesn't want to prove anything. He he wants to continue to win, and with Belichick is the best formula for that. Now, if he were to change teams and go to Indianapolis or the Chargers or the Titans, those are three teams that. If, you know, he can look at and say that team can compete with the Chiefs and compete with the Ravens and compete with the Cleveland Browns, LOL. And I think that's going to be the team that takes me, you know, for one more Super Bowl and I can cap my career like that. But I don't think it's going to happen. I don't think he's changing teams. I don't think the Patriots move on from him. I think they say we're going to draft a quarterback in like the second or third round. I think a lot of these teams want to draft a quarterback to develop under their old guy for one last time, but I do see um, I do see Brady stay. I just at this point it's not going to happen. So anyway, that's my quarterback carousel. What do you think? Is there any guy that you think might change teams that I have staying? Is there any of those predictions that you think is crazy? I know it's a little bold at this point in the process, but this is going to be a fun year for quarterbacks. Not to mention that in addition to all those guys possibly changing teams. You have Joe Burrow, who's probably going to be the number one overall pick. You have Tua Tungavailoa, who is probably going to be a Miami Dolphin. Don't know if it's going to be at five, two, three, whatever they do, but it sounds like they love him, and uh, and he's going to be, uh, you know, as long as he can stay healthy, he can be a force in the NFL. And then you got guys like Herbert and Eason and Jordan Love, uh, you know, and Jake Fromm. You could have some interesting, interesting. Moves at the quarterback position this year for the NFL teams. Who knows? Maybe Cardell Jones just absolutely rips up the XFL and somebody wants to give him a shot. That Wouldn't that be wild? Wouldn't that be cool? So, anyway, something to think about. And then, all right, and then that's it for, uh, for the quarterback carousel. Because we got to get to the one thing that everyone wants me to talk about. And it's the Cleveland Browns. What, what went wrong this year, guys? What went wrong with the Cleveland Browns that everybody was like, Joe, Jake, you know, this uh, this Cleveland team, what's wrong with them? What's happening? Look, I said in the preseason, I, I, I circled, before I made my predictions, I said, listen, there are some things that can go wrong. And here's what I said. All right, so I'm going to play you a clip from... Episode 84 of The Jake. This was back five months ago. My 2019 NFL preview. This is what I predicted for the Cleveland Browns. Out of my mouth, 
five months ago. This is what I said would happen. Now, the moment you all want, I'll just go right into the first place team. I think the Cleveland Browns win the AFC North. Now, a lot of things have to go right for that to happen. I know I'm a homer. I know I'm a huge Browns fan. And I know I will defend them at all times. And I always pick them to win their division. Here's why it will happen. Or we'll start with why it won't happen, okay? Because everyone wants to, to hear that side of things because I always pump up the bats. They have serious issues. I've been talking about the tackles for a long time. That they have journeyman tackles. Greg Robinson on the left, Chris Hubbard on the right. A lot of people say Campen is the new offensive line coach. He's going to be able to coach them up. Under Freddie Kitchens, the offense got the ball out fast, and Baker wasn't pressured a lot in the second half. I understand those, but... Those offensive tackles did really well, much better than they have throughout their careers. Are we going to really, you know, just assume they do that well again? I don't like those odds. I think there's going to be a little bit of regression from the tackle position. Now, are they going to be able to make upgrades? Maybe, but I doubt it. Um, I don't see uh, a cheap enough upgrade out there that they can make right now. I think the Browns, though, you know, outside of the offensive line, it's it's about protecting quarterback because uh, if they can't protect Baker, this offense is going to suffer. And uh, they're going to need to open up the running lanes for Chubb and Hunt uh, to also give Baker time. And also, you know, if things start to go poorly for the Browns, you know, do these personalities start to creep up? I don't think that will be an issue that a lot of people are saying it will be. People are saying, what's going to happen when the Browns start losing? I think Baker's got the type of attitude that can bring everybody together, even in the bad times. But it is a good question. It is fair to bring up that when these things start to go wrong, you have loud guys. Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry, Baker Mayfield. It's going to have to be brought back all together. So uh, that's something that just, you know, they're going to have to work on if things go poorly. And defensively, look, they had a very bad rush defense last year. And it was less so about the defensive tackles, even though they made the the uh, the big upgrade signing Sheldon Richardson. I think that's a huge upgrade, but they have a new scheme this year. Uh, they're allowing Miles Garrett a lot more freedom with his pass rush moves. They have Olivier Vernon at opposite of Garrett, who it, it's going to be really great having Olivier Vernon as the second best pass rusher. Uh, and their depth at the end, I think, is actually pretty good. A lot of people were worried before, but I think if Chad Thomas continues to improve and Chris Smith is out there, uh, they have a good group of DNs. And then Jannard Avery will move down on sub-packages to play DN as well. Uh, but interior, I am worried about the interior defensive line depth. Uh, Ogan Jomi and Shelton Richardson are, are, was one of the best D-tackle combos. But uh, again, if they're always rushing up the field, that might leave some holes. And uh, as much as I like Joe Schober, and I think he's underrated, he does make tackles pretty far down the field sometimes. And Chris Kirksey, you know, he has, uh, let's just say he's had better days before him. Uh, I, I don't. I think he's towards the latter half of his NFL career. And their D-backs, look, Demarius Randall, I think, is setting in nicely as a starting safety. And I think their group of corners is good, but Denzel Ward's got to make sure he keeps his, his head on because he's had a couple concussions now. And uh, their starting safety across from Randall right now it looks like Burnett, but it could be Whitehead, it could be Redwine, it could be a bunch of different guys because really no one has gone out and won that job. Uh, but of course, the biggest issue outside of right guard, which I didn't even get to that, they did make a trade 
for uh, Wyatt Teller, so we'll see how that works out. But um, the biggest issue is kicker. And a lot of people say, does kicker really matter? Is like, why are we focusing on kicker so much? Do you not remember last year? They would have won week one if they had a kicker against Pittsburgh Steelers, which they tied. They had multiple chances to win that game with the kicking game, and they lost. Um, week two against the New Orleans Saints, they missed four kicks that game, and they lost at the buzzer. So they should have started 2-0, and theoretically, if they had a kicker. And it just haunted them throughout the season because they started going for two in different places. They, they started going for it on fourth downs when it kind of uh, you know was just a little all over the place. They missed kicks in very crucial times. They almost tied the Baltimore Ravens because of a, uh, of, of a bad kick again. And, uh, and it cost them in Tampa Bay as well. So it, I looked at a 7-8-1 and one football team last year that could have been a winning record and won the division had they had a kicker. So, Okay, so without going too far into everything that I talked about with the Browns in August, I did circle a lot of problems I could go wrong. And what was the biggest problem with the Cleveland Browns this year? A lot of people point to the offensive line. I said, if you don't protect Baker, you're not going to have a good offense. And the drives that we couldn't protect him, where Greg Robinson and Chris Hubbard were terrible, yeah, that happened a lot. So there were other problems I didn't envision happening. I didn't think the wide receivers would would be much of an issue. Uh, And I didn't think they were this year. I think the biggest problem with Landry and OBJ was the fact that they were misquoted by their nat- their own local media, and the more things got worse, the more people were trying to like egg them on to say the wrong thing. So, again, they weren't the problem this year. The problem was protecting Baker. Uh, the problem was our defensive depth, which I also highlighted. You know, pointing out that like you know uh, Kirksey and the interior D line depth, I was worried about, and Kirksey got hurt and. Then when it came time to playing behind Miles Garrett and, you know, we traded away Jannard Avery. That was a huge mistake. And Vernon got hurt. Like, yeah, those depth issues came in. But the biggest thing that I didn't point out was Freddie Kitchens. And that's on me because, honestly, I thought John Dorsey hired a head coach uh, or hired a guy that was ready to be the head coach. And it's obvious that he wasn't. And we know that now. So, uh, that was my big miss coming into the season was I thought Freddie Kitchens, uh, I didn't think it was going to be as big as a problem as it was. It turned out to be a huge problem and just not one I would have uh, would have highlighted. I did think the O-line was terrible this year and it's obviously their biggest need for an upgrade this year. They're going to go into the draft. The 10th pick is most likely going to be a tackle if not they're going to trade down and get more picks and then take a tackle later in the first round. They're probably going to take a tackle in the second or third or fourth round too because they need to double down. It's just uh, it's it's their weakest area on the team right now is their uh, basically edge protection because they have zero protection against good pass rushes right now. And the you know the Ravens continue to get better there. Uh, the Bengals will only be able to get better there. And T.J. Watt is one of the best defense players in the NFL and they're going to have to play him twice a year. So protecting the edge, that's going to be the new big thing for the Cleveland Browns. And um, you know what? Um, it, it, it's, it was a frustrating year. Was it the worst year? No. But was it like probably one of the most frustrating? Absolutely. Uh, and to attack where 
everything went wrong this year and what to do, I'm going to answer a little mailbag, all right? So I got six dangerous questions. I'm bringing back six dangerous questions. No guests this time. We're just going to uh, we're just going to shoot from the hip. Just me answering questions. Here we go. First one. Jake Baker had a huge drop off in his second year. The dude stinks. Is it time to move on? Uh, to that I say absolutely not. Get out of here. Uh, Kevin Stefanski, the new head coach, is has a much better reputation of being able to work with quarterbacks. You know, and and a lot of people liked the Freddie hire last year, and I did too. But Freddie got hired based on what we thought was going on, and it turns out. He was just basically Baker's friend. We need someone that's going to coach Baker up. And Freddie never coached up Baker. Freddie was the running backs coach, had a couple scripted plays, and apparently it was all Ken Zampezi calling the plays uh, after that and doing all the good work. And we didn't want to believe that at the time because there was no evidence of it. But what Bob Wiley said in the preseason about uh, Kitchens not really being the right guy turned out to be right. So it sucks for us, but I think... Um, it would be a, a horrible, one of the biggest mistakes in franchise history to move on from Baker. Now, he's had one good year and then one down year. Year three is is always huge for all young quarterbacks, and it will be very big for him. You know, if it goes, if he has another south year, we're gonna have to start looking at a possible replacement for Baker Mayfield. But right now, it's way too early. I am excited to bring in an offense that's gonna protect Baker better. That we're going to run the ball and kind of establish our our team identity through the run, and then use our wide receivers and you know tight ends kind of in a different way than we have last year. So it's going to be less of a vertical game and more of like a play action game, something that Baker does well. So I'm excited. I would like to to bring in Case Keenum as a backup quarterback. I think that would push Baker, and it would also bring in a like a veteran backup who has done this before. So with this offense, I think that's just a good fit. All right, second question. Um, Browns have serious cap issues, Jake, and need to pay Miles Garrett soon, along with possibly Denzel Ward and others. We should cut Vernon and sign his replacement to a, a, t- a team-friendly deal. Um, no, no, we should not cut Olivier Vernon, mainly because we don't need money this year. Uh, I think that's a like a common misconception is how bad the Browns cap situation is. A lot of people think it's a lot friendlier than it is, and then a lot of people think it's like doomsday. It's not. We have cap specialists in the front office now. We have guys that aren't just football meatheads. We have these analytical guys that know what they're doing and know how to handle the cap. I think they're going to be fine. Um, by the way, like Vernon's money comes off the books next year. So don't cut them a year early and create this problem that like, okay, if we cut Vernon, we need to sign a new D-end. Uh, there's not going to be a free agent that we can sign to a friend, team-friendly deal. The only ways would be uh, getting a, a rookie, but we don't want to spend a high draft pick on a rookie and have to play him and need it to work out. Let's just keep Vernon. He's starting opposite of Miles, and that would be a really good like situation going forward is saying, hey, listen... You know, Vernon's money comes off the books next year when it's time to pay Miles Garrett. And I think that would be like kind of a perfect situation is Vernon's money comes off the books, send it right to Miles Garrett. He's making $10 million already. Give him 15 more from Vernon. And all of a sudden you have 
one of the highest paid defensive players in the league, but it doesn't actually change what you were paying from this year. And then just make sure in the next two years you draft Vernon's replacement. You can get a guy in the third round this year, and if it works out, you have him for four years and 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 boom. And then you don't need to tr- uh, to move Vernon at all. And then who knows? Maybe you bring back Vernon next year on a team-friendlier deal because he's getting up there in age and won't be getting the same contract, especially since he gets hurt every season. So no, don't cut Vernon. The, the cap issue isn't that bad. All right, third question. OBJ was not worth the headache. They should trade him and take another offensive tackle with the pick they get. Uh, they need the money, and they can draft his replacement. This is a good wide receiver draft. Okay, yeah, it is a good wide receiver draft. So if you do need receiver, this is a good year. But that's kind of going to be the thing every draft now. The way that college games are played and the fact that kids are now growing up just wanting to be wide receivers, not running backs, there's always going to be wide receivers available in the drafts. And it's a position that gets often overlooked at the lower levels but can still make a, like, a, a huge impact in the NFL. You see guys every year in the late rounds making you know, waves as a rookie. There's no reason to go out there and spend a first round pick on a wide receiver unless you kind of are in the fortunate situation where you can spend there. Uh, I don't think we should trade OBJ though. As much as building around a wide receiver is a, isn't really the best idea. And if I was like a GM of a team, I wouldn't be making moves for veteran wide receivers with high cap numbers. Again, we don't need money this year. So trading him now doesn't really help us, especially after he played injured last year and lost a lot of value. It would be better if we kept him, had him work with Baker, work with Landry, and spend more time all these guys meshing together, and all of a sudden we go into the season with these proven receivers, and things can get better. And he improves his value, and if we want to trade him next year when we have more uh, serious cap situation than we do this year, Maybe then we go that route of moving uh, Odell at that point. But right now, we're not going to get anything worth our time for Odell. Um, No one's going to trade like a top 16 pick for Odell Beckham right now. If that were the case, I'd say maybe we do it because it's easy to find wide receiver replacements and it's hard to find first round picks. You can, you know, those aren't growing on trees and the Browns have tackle issues. So, yeah, I do think it'd be better to have that money invested in offensive tackle and that you know basically value in an offensive tackle but I don't think we should trade him because I just don't think it makes a lot of sense for the Browns right now however if you want to look at this a year from now maybe that's a better thing Um, he's still really young he's one of the best playmakers in the NFL when he's healthy and playing at his best we shouldn't just trade that just because we have a need at tackle that that you know it's that simple all right, uh, fourth question. Cream Hunt can't stay out of trouble. Should the Browns just move on and cut bait, or should they continue to stick by his side? Um, this is a tough one because you don't want headaches on your team, and John Dorsey brought in a lot of headaches, and I, I kind of feel like moving on, but you know, just cutting Kareem Hunt is a bad analytical move for this team because he has value. He has value to the Cleveland Browns, and they should do a tender on him. You know, you place the tender tag, and that way, if he wants to sign elsewhere, and if someone signs him, you at least get something in return for him. Um, I know he got uh, cited 
for marijuana. He had an open container of, of alcohol in the car. He's obviously going through some stuff. And I, it is a bit of a headache. And he needs to like you know get better. Maybe he needs to go to some type of counseling. Maybe he need, needs to go to uh, you know drug and alcohol rehab. I, I don't know what he needs to do, but he needs to prioritize football and getting better, which he hasn't done yet. However, if he does that, the Browns brought him in uh, for a very small amount of money. Now his value is low because no team wants to touch him. So the Browns could essentially capitalize on his misfortunes and you know either sign him to a team-friendly deal, tender him, and, and make another team give up a draft pick for him, or you have a really good backup running back on a really cheap deal. And that's a good thing because running back is a position where you really don't want to invest a lot of money because they grow on trees. So if you get established good running backs on team-friendly deals, that's like the dream. But no, it's not worth it right now to move on from Kareem Hunt. Um, losing him for nothing does does not bode well for a team that needs help at a lot of areas. Uh, but if you move him or let him go and you get a draft pick, I think that's actually the best case scenario. I would rather have a third round or fourth round pick than Kareem Hunt and uh, then just invest in a backup running back later in the draft. You don't need, I mean, running backs are easy to hit on. So um, you don't need them, but I wouldn't give them up for nothing. Fifth question. All right, two left. Um, with this new regime, do you see any big changes? Well, coming right off of what we just talked about. Uh, Najoku, Kirksey, Higgins, Vernon, Hunt, all being gone could help with the cap. Yeah, it could help with the cap, but like I said, we don't have these serious issues that everyone thinks we have. Like, they have $35 million to spend this year. They really don't need to do much. They should sign, like, one or two guys and cut into, like, less than half of that $35 million. I think uh, if they could sign Anthony Harris at free safety, you know, to a, I, I don't know, I mean, $12 million a year, does that get that done? And then just say, okay, fill in, you know, the rest of the, you know, free agents you add, you get basically get for... Uh, league minimum or very small deals because uh, I know a lot of people are sour on signing like Jack Conklin and other right tackles or offensive tackles and uh, I, I get it uh, I I don't need to do that I'd rather double down in the draft than sign free agents um, but you should keep an eye out on how expensive those guys will be especially since everybody knows the draft is going to be really good this year at tackle so. Why not? Everyone's going to want to do that. It's going to drive down the value of the free agent tackles. You think Jack Conklin's going to cost $15 million a year? He might cost nine to 10. You know, and if that's the case, that might be something the Browns should pursue is $10 million for Jack Conklin, and you still have $25 million. You still have those guys like Kirksey and Vernon coming off the books next year. That's, I mean, that's $20 million right there that you could reinvest into. Uh, Garrett and Denzel Ward so there are options I don't think the Browns need to make any big drastic moves this year I think they should wait until next year to do any of the wholesale changes at like you know in terms of cutting guys um you know and also we have smart guys in the front office now we don't have to worry about John Dorsey shooting himself in the foot with the cap because we have Andrew Barry who's known for being smart with the cap with value you know, he's going to value the right positions 
and the right ages of players. So let's not freak out just yet. All right, number six. Uh, this is from Chris in Hoboken. Uh, was this the worst year ever to be a Browns fan? No, it was not. Uh, the 0-16 season will never be beaten just because there's nothing more embarrassing than not winning a game. Football is the only sport where you can go winless. Right? No one's going winless in baseball, basketball, or hockey. There's just too many games. You'll never go winless in that. Football, there's 16 games. You should be able to win a couple. For the Browns to have gone 1-15 and and their head coach to say, we're not going 1-15 and again, only to go 0-16, there's nothing more embarrassing than that. Now, uh, fortunately, I didn't get made fun of nearly as much for the Brown that Browns season, but that is the by far worst year. This season had highs. You know, the Browns beat the Ravens and the Steelers. It's the first time they've ever done that, where they beat those two teams, but they beat all three division rivals. Okay, so even though the lows this year were worse than the lows of the 0-16, because basically the 0-16 season, we went into every week expecting to lose. Um, this year, though, we did have some highs. We played well at times. We saw the light. We have Baker Mayfield. That team back then had no direction. They had no quarterback. They had no head coach. They had no offense, and they had my, they had Miles Garrett. That was it. The rest of the team was scrubs. It was basically like the Browns didn't exist. And when Corey Coleman dropped that ball and basically sealing the deal that the Browns would go 0-16 against, especially against the Steelers' backups, Steelers sat all their starters and still beat the Browns who were playing to avoid being one of the worst teams of all time. Yeah, that was the worst season. But the lows from this year were really bad. There were so, so, so many headlines and head-scratching quotes the local media just dragging us, you know, Baker and Odell responding to the wrong things. Obviously, the Miles Garrett helmet situation, um, that was terrible. Uh, I mean, the Colin Cowherd stuff, the Mary Kate Cabot saying that the Browns are, are predicting a win in New England, the handshake gate with Richard Sherman. Uh, I mean, the list goes on. There's no shortage of embarrassing moments from this Brown season. In terms of lows, I mean, I, I, there are dozens, dozens from this season. However, it still doesn't match how bad that last season, that Omen 16 season was because, strictly because of the highs from this year. We actually beat the Ravens. We beat the Steelers. Yes, do we sour those wins with uh, performances you know, afterwards, yes, but we beat the Bills. That was another playoff team. Bills were a good team this year. We beat them. You know, it, you know, it was, it was, it sucked that they, and, and another thing that I want to point out, I predicted the Browns to go 10 and 6, right? And I, I thought they could go 11 and 5. I thought at worst they would go 7 and 9 if everything bad went wrong. They went 6 and 10, which sucks. Um, however, the one thing I did point out was, I thought they were going to win the last four games of the season, meaning I thought they were going to be 6-6. Six and six. The Browns, all they had to do was beat the Steelers when they were up by, they're up 10-0, by the way, at Pittsburgh. If they had won that game or if they had won the Denver game the week before, they would have been exactly where I predicted with four games to play, which is insane considering 
how bad the season was going up to that point. You know, everyone points out like how embarrassing they were and how many bad things were going on, but I thought they'd lose at Baltimore. They won that game. You know, I thought they'd win the home opener, but they lost that. So you trade those. They still beat the Jets, which I thought would happen, and they lost the Rams, which I thought would happen. So through four weeks, they, they were exactly where I thought they'd be. I just thought they needed to win one game over that next stretch that they ended up not winning. I I thought, okay, Seattle and San Francisco, they'll go 1-1. One one. They went 0-2. Knew they'd lose to New England, and I knew they'd lose to Denver. And I thought they'd lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers at Pittsburgh. So with all that said, and I thought they'd win, win against Buffalo and win against Miami. With all that said, through all of those games, with four games left, I was only off by one game. And frankly, they outplayed Denver. I mean, they only had five penalties. They had no turnovers. They only they dominated time possession. All they had to do was get the ball in the end zone, but they didn't. They kept on failing and kicking field goals, and uh, they gave up like giant ass touchdown plays. They gave up a seventy five yard touchdown run. They get and, and it was like it was an unfortunate loss because they outplayed Denver and they should have won. Had they won that game, they would have been exactly where I thought they would have been through twelve games. So for everyone to say and suggest that like, oh, I I was my head was in the clouds, I was way off and everything like that, it's not true. Even at my highest expectations, I thought they'd be six and six with four games to play, and then I thought they'd win the last four. Uh, they went one and three down the stretch, which stunk. Uh, the you know final game against Cincinnati was meaningless. That didn't matter. Uh, the game against Baltimore, they were leading in that one almost at halftime, and then Freddie Kitchens happened. And then the Arizona game the week beforehand, that, that was bad too. Those were three games I thought they'd win that they ended up losing. Uh, unfortunate. It, but what can I say? That's the Browns. Everything's always unfortunate with them. Uh, I'm not going to get ahead of myself going into this 2020 season. However, I'm going to try and stay optimistic. It's what I do. What can I say? We are joined by Chris Heine, who is the reigning champion of the Idiots Fantasy Football League. Chris, how's it going? Good, good. I'm glad I could join the pod again. Yeah, well, this is your first championship uh, in the league. I have one, but that's known as the steroid era uh, when when we had less members. So this is like a – and members that weren't exactly into it all the way. So this is a big one for you. Uh, it wasn't without controversy. Do you care to yeah. walk us through a little bit of that? Yeah. So Sean and I made the decision to – First, I'll start with uh, week 13. Uh, we, Sean and I are both 6-6. Six and six. Uh, Winner is in the playoffs. Loser is out of the playoffs. Right, because you guys are facing each other the next week. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my idea was I can beat Sean. I'll, I'll beat Sean. But, you know, your scenarios and your playoff projections did raise a possible solution to see us both get in the playoffs. And I didn't see a reason to to risk anything with the playoffs. So, uh, you know, Sean didn't want to risk it either. I didn't want to go to the toilet bowl. I was a perennial toilet bowl uh, member. I had done it long enough, and any risk to be in the toilet bowl was just not going to happen. So 
we did the tie. It affected you, obviously. Yeah. You would have been in the playoffs. Correct. Uh, I think you can look at your score the next week and feel confident you wouldn't have. You know, uh, we could play that game, but then, you know, by then my team had already known that we had been cheated and it was, uh, really tough to get, it was really tough to get up for that, uh, nothing game and know, uh, that there was nothing on the line. Um, but I am glad you did not lose the toilet bowl though and were the, were the ultimate loser in the league because then I would have had a problem. It would have, it would have had a much bigger problem. However, um, this could have easily been dropped had you not won the league. But you yeah, won this exactly. league, and uh, and so that has raised some other concerns too, because people are saying, "Wow, Heine cheated to get to this point." Now, whether you call it cheating or or just collusion, or I don't know, I don't know what it's the right phrase collusion. is. It, it's collusion. Sean's trying to say that it has to be secret to be collusion. I'm like, yes, you guys were public about it, but it's still a secret dealing to make sure it happens. I think that- there's something true about that, but in the end, it's colluding is two people saying we're going to do this, and yeah, you know, like we're working together mm-hmm. to both get in the playoffs. Yeah, so uh, this might not be the same level of impact on society the Houston Astros had, but uh, it was a pretty big story, and certainly the story of 2019. So, um, regardless of of that, uh, you did have a good team. And you came to play when the playoffs came around. Uh, walk us through, like, who you had. Like, who, who got you there? Who finished the job? All right, so I've been talking the whole year. Aaron Jones is my guy. He carried me, you know, from week one to week to play the championship. He, on a weekly basis, is going to get me. All right, you know, we can talk about James Starks. He's going to get me 10 a week, at least every week. Yeah. And but he he would get me twenty. I mean, he hit he just had touchdowns every every week. So he was my guy. Uh, Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I don't, I, you know better than me. He didn't have a great year with Adams. Obviously, yeah. He wasn't throwing. He didn't have a lot of target guys to throw to. So anytime they got near the red zone, it's just hand it to Aaron Jones, and he's just gonna take take it in. Yeah. Anywhere between anywhere from ten yards in, he was taking it in. Yeah. And hey. then in the, and then the finals, you know, I'm sitting, waiting, me and Ryan are really close, and Aaron, Aaron Jones breaks off for a 45-yard touchdown run that win. Yeah. Yeah, so Aaron Jones carried you in the playoffs. He, he was a great pickup. Uh, you had a pretty solid receiving crew uh, with, um, what's it, Galladay and... and, and uh, yeah, and, 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 that's, and that's why I kind of got into the scenario. I got in, though, because those guys carried me early, got me some wins, and... I didn't look. I was like six and two, or mm-hmm. uh, you know, five and two, or something, and I ended up being six and six going to the last week. And it's because Cooper and Galladay, you know, yeah. Dak started playing terrible, and Cooper was doing nothing, and Galladay, Stafford was hurt and out for the year, so Galladay was getting nothing. He had a great Thanksgiving, and then he did nothing for me, you know, the rest of the year. You know, he had a couple good games in the playoffs where he got ten or twelve. That was helpful, but that was the reason I was in the. I should have been in the playoffs. I should have been a four seed or three seed easily, but those guys dropped off a cliff. I, I lost a lot of weeks late. Yeah, yeah. Um, so well, you could also think about my mindset. I was panicking, like you know, thinking I'm going to be in the playoffs and losing late, losing late, mm-hmm. losing to Popper by one, losing to Chuck. You know, I'm like, I I need to tie. I just need to get in the playoffs. Yeah. End, so. 
It was desperation. It was it was a little desperation. I get I get your angle, and it's funny because you know a lot of us can say what we would or wouldn't do, but we'll never know. Um, like you know, I don't know. I don't know if that situation. You know, we could put a rule in this year for the next year. I don't know when that situation will come up again. It's it's rare that two people are tied, both in the five six seed. And it's very they, rare. Yeah, and they have an incentive to tie to get both get in. I, I you know, and again, mm-hmm. Popper, if he wins that game against Ryan, Ryan has sixty points on Monday night. If that doesn't happen, I have to play the game because Popper's going to get in. Yeah, um, you know, I I have to win. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, uh, Popper Popper losing. Go. Yeah, Popper losing going into that week helped me because it helped me get the edge on Popper, but it hurt me because it made you feel, and Sean, in a safer spot. So Because yeah, Popper would have been tied with us. He's going to be locked in because he, he had higher points than both of us. And then now we got to play for that last spot. Mm-hmm. And so, and you could you were playing, and if you had higher points than me and Sean, you might and you win, you might have got in too. So it's like, yeah, it's... Uh, it, it, it was that that was that was the big you know the big change that happened on Monday. I already thought I was like crap. I got to beat Sean next week. Yeah. And so then you know when that happened, it's like all right, well if we can tie, I mean we're both gonna we have a chance at seven hundred bucks or whatever. Yeah. No, it's a good point. And uh, and yeah, like like I said, like you know I asked a bunch of other like commissioners that I know and other people in other leagues, and they're like, oh that's BS. But you know, so so like as much as everyone says it's BS. Until you're in that spot, you really don't know what you're going to pull. So, going so going into next year, would you have something? Something needs to change. Is this a is this a calling at the commissioner's head? Is this a uh, rule change that needs to happen? Or do we have a possible mutiny on our hands? What do you think uh, going into the 2020 season? Yeah, I think there you know there may need to be a, a sterner you know. Uh, presence at the commissioner's seat wow uh i mean you could have you could have i don't know what you do like there's no you you can't like make up rules as you go kind of so like yeah you know i don't i don't know how you you can't tie you know you can't bench anybody i don't know you know i'm sure you can set that in the fantasy lineups but Mm -hmm. there could have been some incentive i was down to pay some sort of penalty now it's too late now but I, you know i, I was gonna be like, right, i'll pay 50 extra bucks next year or whatever I don't, I don't know you know there is some way you could have set some penalty or you know there there what there is some, you could have a little bit of a sterner force at the top yeah i think brendan's a little exhausted at the top too <laughs> he might he, he might even need an impeachment he might just call it and just quit A, a retirement into uh, you know pass along to the next. That's great. Willing person. Yeah. All right. Well, Chris, thank you for coming on the pod. Congratulations again. You uh, you know, I didn't like how you got into the playoffs, but once you got there, you you that was impressive. So, uh, congratulations. Thank you, Thanks for the call. Okay. All right. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. Bye. Gabrielli, you are on the Jake podcast. How's it going, man? Oh, it's going. It's going. Congratulations on your first ever Brainy Family League Championship. Uh, it's been a while since the season ended. We haven't been able to uh, to pin you down for a good time. Can I get you for like two minutes? Yeah, sure. I'm, uh, I'm actually in the office right now, but I can talk. You're in the office on Saturday? Yes, sir. 
Oh, you know what? You just you're always working hard. I I, I love that about you, Nick. Appreciate that. Listen, I just wanted to congratulate you on a great season. You uh, you really brought it. After a year where you lost in the finals to your wife in a very controversial fashion because you told her that her star player, Todd Gurley, wasn't going to be playing, so she was able to make a maneuver and beat you in the finals. You then took it upon yourself to just crush the competition this year you beat me and you beat pat on the way to a really solid finals victory so uh any thoughts on that uh first i appreciate it um yeah i gotta i gotta say it felt pretty good after uh the absolutely awful loss that i suffered last year to come away with the victory i think pat was a little a little bit upset about it given that his team Similar to mine last year was the best out there, but uh, it's any given Sunday. Yeah, that's with fantasy. You know, you, the years in which the best teams win, it doesn't always happen. Like I had a great team too. I was right behind Pat in points, and uh, you you knocked my socks off too uh, in the semifinals. That was actually a really good game, but you put up like one forty five, and then the finals you beat Pat by like forty. So uh, it was well earned. It was well deserved. And considering that you had. An almost undefeated year last year. It uh, it seems like a poetic ending to uh, finish on top this year. Yeah, no, definitely really excited. Um, was was really looking forward to getting that undefeated season last year and getting to you know top that on the the Jake podcast. But I'll take a uh, second place finish in one year and then a first place finish the following year. That's, that'll work for me. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. I also think. It was very bold of you to come out and say that uh, getting married was the third best accomplishment of 2019. I mean, I know you won the Fantasy League, and I know that uh, going on vacation for the first time were both huge, huge things for you. But, I mean, getting married, that shouldn't be – shouldn't that be your number one? And I, I'm not sure I made that comment, but uh, oh. I'm sure when uh, – when my wife, the listens to this, she's going to be thrilled to hear it. Okay, well, you know what? I will have to check my facts on that and see. Uh, uh, no, you know what it was? Uh, getting married was number one, and the others were two and three. Oh, sorry, I almost messed that up. Mm. Yeah, and I know that most of your uh, podcast listeners got a nice play-by-play of that weekend. So hope, hope I know, I out. know. It was a great wedding weekend. Sam and I had a bunch of weddings last year. And uh, rounding it out with your guys, is that was something else. It was a really fun time. So, uh, you know, glad to hear. yeah, listen, congratulations on your championship. Uh, I'd like to talk to you in the preseason before we draft again next year. Um, you know, maybe we'll do a little like OBX trip, uh, uh, talk and have a lot of people talk about it and possibly play for money next year. Sam, uh, Sam got into the playoffs. She snuck in and she has a thirst for some real dollar bills from the brainy family. So what do you think about that? So I think, uh, Dollars would would be a great addition, but I also think that a a, a trophy, a family trophy, should be instituted. Mm, I like that. And also, and also a penalty for uh, being in the basement. Wow! I think that's something that we should absolutely implement. And if people are going to participate in the league and they are not going to check their lineups, they will be taken out, and we'll replace them with people who are going to play. Yeah, I mean, I think that we've we have enough interest from other parties. Albert wants in. You know, and Josh doesn't know his login, so that's an easy switcheroo. We pull Josh out, and we put Albert in, and Sean's more into it now, 
And I think Brian Foley, if you know we're playing for money, he would be more interested. And all of a sudden, we've got twelve interested parties paying and uh, paying the consequences. Let's just say. So. Yeah, no, I'm I'm absolutely in favor of that, and I look forward to uh, taking everybody down again in uh, 2020. Excellent. I love your passion. I love uh, your drive. And 2019 was certainly your year. 2020, maybe your year again. So listen, Nick, I appreciate the call. Thank you for joining on the podcast, and I'll certainly have you on in the future. Sounds great. Have a good one, Jake. Okay. You be good. Yep. Bye. All right. That was Nick Gabrielli and Chris Heine, the two fantasy champions of the fantasy football leagues. I'm in, and uh, it was well overdue. It's February. We shouldn't be talking about fantasy football. That should have been done a while ago, but... Wanted to get these guys on the pod. It was it was overdue, like I said, and uh, and they were on. Nick had a you know a hell of a year. It was you know in 2018, and it ended up you know crashing. But uh, you know 2019, he ended up coming out with two big victories in the playoffs over me and over Pat. Uh, he again. What Nick's advantage is, he doesn't have any like super bias towards the Browns. So where we won't draft Ravens and Steelers, he will certainly take advantage of that, and uh, and he did. And of course, having Michael Thomas last year didn't hurt. And whereas Chris Heine, you know, yeah, he won in controversial fashion. You heard himself on this podcast, on the Jake podcast. Chris Heine confirmed that it was indeed collusion. Sean Stewart has has been bold saying that it wasn't collusion. Chris Heine admitted to collusion. So. Uh, we'll have to hear from Commissioner Engelstad, maybe get him on the podcast and see how he plans to address this. Because if he could take anything from the MLB, I mean, Rob Manfred is not doing well with this whole Houston Astros situation. So, uh, Commissioner Engelstad, he's going to have some questions to answer for the Idiots Fantasy Football League. Anyway, that is another episode of the Jake Podcast. This was a very long one. We didn't even get to the Oscars talk. We didn't get to the 100 Club and a bunch of other uh, uh, movies that Sam and I have watched and some TV for February, but I appreciate you all listening to this sports-centric two-hour Jake podcast episode. It was a long one, but it was a good one. So thanks again, and uh, be good.